In my view, there are two chapters in the Bible that deserve a lifetime of study apiece. They're both in the Gospel of John. The first is John chapter 1. The other is this chapter that we are about to enter into in our study. I am not worthy. I do not have the mental capacity. I can do the best that I can. Because in John 17, a new discourse, a new thing begins. What began in John 13, his discourse to his disciples, the upper room, so forth. Now with the 11 on their way to the Mount of Olives, deep into the night. We will enter into the throne room of God. Communion between Father and Son. There is a phrase that is repeated seven times in this chapter in Christ's prayer to the Father. As a matter of fact, you'll see bits and pieces, a thing here or a generalization there, but we've never been given until now the quote of a prayer from the Son to the Father. This is, his, this is the model prayer that he prays even now for us as he intercedes for us in heaven as our high priest. We must lay a bit of a foundation if we're going to enjoy completely and seek to approach an understanding of this high priestly prayer. The 11 with Jesus, they are on their way to the Mount of Olives. They are now outside the wall of Jerusalem. They are passing through the Kidron Valley. Now understand this, the water and the wash from Jerusalem would come through the Kidron Valley. This is the Passover season. Untold numbers of sacrifices being sacrificed and literally a river of blood washing out through the Kidron Valley. The very blood that bespeaks the person, the purpose of the coming of the Christ. As they trudge through that, headed toward the Mount of Olives, surely in the hearing of his disciples, Jesus begins this prayer. Verse 
But please, let me lay some scriptural foundation, and it is skeletal. I have a message that I call the eternal, the blood of the eternal covenant, and this is just a scant overview of some of the scriptures. But seven times in John 17, Christ refers to, quote, those whom you have given me, close quote, seven times. To enter into this kind of study, and I cannot know or understand why, offends some people who are Christians. When you speak of divine sovereignty and sovereign grace, the divine sovereign power and purpose of God that is meticulous, nothing is left out. Not one thing is left to random choice, not a thing. God will prevail, he will be glorified and his son will overcome. As a matter of fact, this is the last thing Christ said to his disciples before he begins this prayer. You'll see it in the last part of the previous chapter. Rejoice, don't worry, for I have overcome the world. Then he begins this prayer. But let me lay this foundation briefly and make a couple of comments. And I made my sixth mistake of the year here. This is 2 Timothy and not 1 Timothy. Um, so correct me there if you're taking notes, okay? From 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. I love 1 Timothy too. I love them all. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. The one having saved us. You see, having saved us, that's participle. You got you to hear me now. Don't, don't let this just say, oh, great, there he goes again. Listen to me. This is divine truth. It's an aorist active, and it's in participle form. Aorist means that it's a one for all, once for all effective action. It's done. It'll never change. It'll always have its results because it's done. So Paul writing to Timothy speaks of the church. Once for all, he already did it. In all of time and eternity, having saved us, aorist active, that means in the active, it means that uh, the subject performs the action. Our Lord. Same thing here, having called us. It's, a, it's participle and it's in, the, it's in the aorist active. Same thing applies for this. But stay with me. Having called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to anything we've done, but according to his own purpose and grace, having been given. It's different. This is in the aorist, 
which means it's a once for all effective action, but it's in the passive. This is how it is applicable to you and me. The other things, the one having saved us, the Lord, the subject was performing the action. Same way having called us, having saved us, having called us. Now it's talking about us in Christ having been this grace and purpose, having been given. Okay, that's aorist, but it's in the passive. That means the subject, which is us, is being acted upon by an external force or person. You have to get this. I believe this will deepen your worship and will cause you to walk in greater humility before God. There is nothing about his purpose and grace and salvation that we have ever done. We could not give it to ourselves. We could not attain it. We could not seek after it. It had to be given to us by the one who has his own purpose and grace. So it moves then from active to passive. Having been given us in Christ Jesus, how long has that been? Before time eternal. Before there was ever time, if we are in Christ, by the purpose and grace of the Almighty, we have been given this salvation and calling. Not according to anything we are or anything we've done, but according to his purpose and his grace. Nothing is left to chance. There's no such thing as chance with God. Not a thing. Now, what we're told here is that this has been given to us in Christ Jesus before there was ever time in, the, in what we can only call eternity, right? Now let's go to Revelation 13 and verse 8. And all those dwelling on the earth will worship it, namely the beast, the Antichrist, whose names have not been written from the founding of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. In the proper context and syntax of the Greek, the writing of the names is what is referenced as that which is done before the founding of the world. That angers some people. I cannot understand why. When I was going through school and graduate school and postgraduate school, you had, you had 500 level courses which were master's degree level courses, graduate school. Then you had 600 level, which were PhD. And then you had postdoctoral fellowship and study that would be beyond the 600 level. And I have to tell you, I don't know how to say this. 
But you have to be a long way down the road to catch a glimpse of the depth and the gravity and the beauty and the wonder of the grace of God that includes those of us who are in Christ and was initiated by Almighty God before time ever was. In a million years, you may wonder, well, what happened to old Pastor Charles? Let me go see if I can find him. I'll be somewhere still studying the wonders of the grace of God. Why me? Why, like it was? Nothing is random with God. Written from before the founding of the world. You see that, uh, that word world is cosmos of the world. Cosmos, it's the last Greek word in that text up there. Of the world. The cosmos is the present existing state of things. It includes everything, all the universe, the macro, the macro existence, which, is, which would be stars and planets and whatever, and the micro, which would include subatomic particles, all of it. Before any of that, our name's written in the book of life of the Lamb from, out from, before the founding of the world. Now Hebrews chapter 13. May the God of peace, having brought the great shepherd of the sheep out from the dead by the blood of the eternal covenant. This is the covenant that the father made with the son before there was anything. And that covenant was that the father would give to the son his own. Christ said in John 6, and we studied it some time back, all the father gives me will come to me. All that the father gives to me will come to me. And I will in no wise cast him out. I will no, not never. I will not never. I will never, ever, ever cast him out. But I'll raise him up at the last day and I will not lose a single one. That's what Christ said. These are those to whom the father has given to the son before there was anything. By the blood of the eternal covenant, our Lord Jesus equip you in everything good in order to do his will. Working in us that which is well pleasing before him through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory to the ages of the ages. Amen. We'll talk a little more about that glory here in just a second. And I'm not promising to get you out on time. This is what Christ said at the Lord's Supper. He wouldn't partake of the cup just then. For this is my blood of the covenant being poured out for many. For those of us whom the Father gave to the Son who are in Christ. Poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Now let's get to the prayer. You have to understand that Christ is talking seven times and mentions those 
as he talks to the father, those whom you have given to me. You understand that? Doesn't matter. He said it seven times. I hope you understand it. Now to John 17. These things Jesus spoke. Having lifted up his eyes to heaven, Jesus Christ is the only man, God man, God in the flesh, who ever walked as a man who didn't have to bow before God. He had no sin. You see, some people call our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the. They call that the Lord's Prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. The model prayer he gave to his disciples, but he could not ask to be forgiven of trespass and sin. He had no sin. So it was a, it was a model prayer for his disciples, but this is his prayer to the Father. So he lifts up his eyes because he is God, the Son. He said, Father, the hour has come. What hour? The hour when the mighty creator, God the Son, commissioned by God the Father, ever moving and performing in the will of the Father by the power of the Spirit, when God the Son will join that which was declared in eternity and bring it into time and settle all issues at the cross. God is moving according to a divine timetable. Not one little issue is left undone. Not one single little thing. If you'll notice here, in, uh, in the Greek text, it says, he hora. He is the definite article. The hour. A specific thing. The definite article. So there's not a... If the, if the definite article wasn't there, it'd be indefinite. It could be a, an hour or whatever, but it's there. The hour, this Passover, this time, the hour has come. In the will of the Father, the Son understands the Lamb of God now will be sacrificed. So then he says, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Glory. There is a peculiar and particular glory that belongs to God the son. Paul writes about it to the Philippians in chapter 2. He said he didn't think that it was something to be held on to at all costs. He laid aside his glory and was found to be in the form of of a man died an ignominious, horrible death. And only he could do it. The disciples will withdraw in horror at the events leading up to and including the crucifixion of Christ. To them, it appeared to be shame. And humiliation. But to Christ, it was glory.
He's headed to his glory. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. How is the father glorified? The father made an eternal covenant with the son. Those whom the father has given to the son find themselves in the collapse of the fall of Adam. And therefore they will need to be redeemed and they are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And I can tell you unequivocally that when he went to the cross, he went for me. Because I know I am in Christ. He went for me. It used to be an old song, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I, I can agree with that. I can certainly agree with it. He died for his own. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you now. What the father had promised to the son and the son had declared he would keep and redeem and would not lose a single one of them will now redeem us at the cross. Thus there to be made sin. He who knew no sin, Paul writes to Corinth, was made to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. This is what he did. This to the son is glory. Glory. The father will be glorified by the obedience even to death of the son. In his obedience and death, the son will glorify the father. Those of us who are in Christ are drawn by the Father via the Holy Spirit who speaks to us, who quickens us from spiritual death. And what did Christ say just some verses earlier of the Holy Spirit? He will glorify me. Here is why I came to Christ. I came to Christ because I was drawn to Christ. And because the Holy Spirit glorified Christ in my newly awakened spirit and heart, born again, the Spirit glorifies the Son. The Son, through His obedience and death on the cross, glorifies the Father. And the Father is glorified by the obedience and sacrifice of the Son. And thus, the eternal covenant is complete. What was vowed and declared from before time ever was is accomplished and made to be true. And I have not been left out. Not anywhere along the way. I have not been left out. This is his prayer. The hour. The hour that will culminate in my absolute humiliation. And in my obedience to redeem those who are mine, the hour has come. And I will cry when it is done. It is finished.
This is my Savior. If you're in Christ, this is your Savior. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. As you gave him authority over all flesh. Do you know what that means? That means that Jesus Christ is in charge of all of the human race. All of it. Past, present, future. Every single person who has ever been born, is, has been born, will be born, is being born. All of them are under the authority of the Son of God. You gave him authority over all flesh and here's what he did. He gave eternal life to all out of the human race to whom you've given him. You see, I have that little arrow. I'm getting good at this stuff. All flesh belongs to Christ in obedience to the eternal covenant with the Father. He submits to the will of the Father and thus, in his sacrifice on the cross, gives eternal life to those, all of those, whom the Father has given to the Son. I don't know why anybody couldn't like that. People hate me for that. I don't care. The doctrine of the eternal covenant took me 11 years in personal withdrawn Bible study. For me to finally collapse into the presence of a sovereign God and finally say, it's all of you and none of me. All of you and none of me from before I can ever remember or even know about. Until a time that is yet to come, all of you and none of me. I may not understand it, but I will declare it's true because it's in your word I've given you those silly things. You may think silly of being in the active or the passive, but I got to tell you, that's the way the Holy Spirit breathed it. And so why did he go from active to passive? Because it's all of God and none of us. It's him. Jesus is praying as our high priest. He's praying for his own. That's for whom he prays. The first five verses, he prays for himself. The next section, he prays for his disciples. And then finally, he prays for all of us who will ever come to Christ. That's me. I'm on his heart right here. Can you understand that? I'm on his heart. He's praying. Because in a time when I haven't even lived yet, he's carrying everything that has ever been wrong with me to the cross and will put it away. As my great eternal Savior and high priest. Now this is eternal life. What is your definition of eternal life? I'm going to live in heaven forever. Mm -mm. Let me give you the definition of eternal life as it is given by Jesus Christ himself. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you. The only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I, I don't know 
if we can fully understand the beauty of this. Jesus Christ gives us the definition of eternal life. If you don't know Christ, let me give you the other side of it. If you don't know Christ, you don't know God. And you do not have eternal life. You cannot know God except through his Christ. There is no other way. It is by the eternal design of the great triune God. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Just on that definition, there are God, there are so many who are in the church who are lost. Because they have agreed to the damnable lie that you can know God in more than one way. You cannot know God except by Christ because he is the only true God. Now, Christ continues, I glorified you on the earth. You see that? Epites ges, ges, earth. Geology comes from that, geography, from that Greek word. I glorified you on the earth. Where was he to accomplish on the earth? Planet earth. Guess. Having completed the work you gave me to do, what was this work? That of all that the Father gives to me, he, I will not lose one. John 6, remember? Christ headed to the cross and Matthew said, this is my blood of the eternal covenant. We will be saved and purified and we will be covered in the righteousness of Christ. Thus, to be able to stand in the presence of God forever. And it works out with his blood. This is the end of his earthly ministry. That's what he says. He will leave this. And as a matter of fact, this is sort of the beginning of his heavenly ministry because this is a model of his high priestly prayer. Hebrews chapter seven. He completes his earthly work on earth. But now he has heavenly work. He died to save us. He lives to keep us saved. He said to the woman who kept trying to hold on to him, you got to turn loose of me because I got to go back to my father. I ain't done yet. With regard, not just to saving his own, of course, that was completed on the cross. But to keeping us saved. To continue to be our savior against the accuser. Our high priest having completed the work that you gave to me now now father glorify me with yourself with the glory that I had with you before the cosmos ever exist different Greek word last line on the Greek about the middle cosmon ton cosmon comes from cosmos top line about the middle guess that's earth Cosmo is world. It's the created, it's the created system. 
It's everything. With the glory that I had with you before the cosmos ever existed. It is his, Christ can ask this. This is not a selfish prayer. He came in submission to the Father's will. He will suffer horribly and do exactly what the Father sent him to do. Look at Isaiah 53 and you'll have a, you'll have a map of what happened to Jesus. As he dies for his own on the cross, he has every right to claim this glory and he knows the Father will restore it to him. It's his glory. There is a peculiar glory that belongs to God the Son. He laid it aside. It was briefly seen on transfiguration. And it will be seen in my belief. It will be seen as he ascends into heaven because you remember Isaiah said what back in chapter six, whatever. And I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Room Nasach, Hebrew, means raised above all others and greatly exalted. He was in the temple. His train filled the temple. You know, Isaiah had that vision. In my view, a very similar thing happens as Christ ascends. For 40 days, he has been with his disciples, teaching them. The Bible says in Luke that he opened their minds concerning the scriptures. And now he ascends into heaven. And in Blippa, they are gazing. Book of Acts says they're gazing. And the two in white apparel come and say, why are you standing here gazing? Now the word to gaze Have you ever hit a deer at night? You've heard of the old saying, uh, a deer in headlights, whatever. <laughs> Possums are like that too. <laughs> it's a personal testimony. They have this last strange look like there's glory coming to me. These guys are looking at the ascension of Christ the Greek word he was lifted up that doesn't just mean that he defied gravity it goes back to that Hebrew word which means in their very presence as he was lifted up his glory was coming upon him how do I know that because those two guys said this same Jesus that you see going away shall so come in like man. Just like that. Get a good look. You won't see it long. He's, he's out of here. And so now he's our high priest. And John in the Revelation chapter 1 describes him as hair like wool and eyes like fire. And feet that are like burning brass with a countenance so bright and a belt around his waist that shines brighter than the sun itself. The same Jesus shall so come in like manner, just like what you see there. That's what he's going to look like. That's him. 
They had not seen him like this. Until then he ascends into heaven. He completed the task that the Father sent him to do for me. It's very personal to me. He did it for me. And what he did for me starts before time. I can't explain all of it. I just know it's true because the Bible says so. And so thus we go into this world proclaiming Jesus Christ because some will be said the power of the gospel and the truth that until the close of the age, the father will draw those who are his own to the son. I don't know who they are. I have to preach to all of them. And here and there, once and again, I am granted the high holy privilege to see it with my eyes as the father awakens a dead sinner whom he had declared to be his own before the foundation of the world and in that awakening draws him to Jesus. What a privilege to preach the gospel and to watch the father at work through the completed work of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The blood of the eternal covenant. The hour has come. The hour when the wrath and judgment of God will be settled in the person of Christ. When eternity is brought into time and the purpose and will of God is shown in its reality and it can only happen in the obedience of Christ on the cross, the hour has come. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. And as Paul said, of whom I am chief. The longer I walk this path, the more I realize how detestable I am. And that only grace could save me. In just a moment, we'll be dismissed. And as you leave, there are deacons and wives right across the hall. In rooms, doors are open. And if God is calling you to Christ today, they'll pray with you. It'll all be made right. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian. And God leads you to come and be a part of this congregation. 
they're ready to speak to you as well and to pray with you. So keep that in mind as we reflect upon the beauty and the glory of the grace and the purpose of God. Let's stand together prayerfully and we'll be dismissed. Father God in heaven, Lord, thank you for your eternal grace. Oh God, how can I thank you for what you've done for me? I will spend forever certainly glorifying you and exalting you for who you are and hoping in some way to offer my praise and thanksgiving for the eternal life that you have granted to me. Oh Lord, as we go from this place, bless us in the truth with which we are armed and the glory and beauty of the gospel that we may proclaim it to others and just watch as you work in the hearts and lives of those whom you would draw to yourself. Now we pray that you'll dismiss us from this place right now with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.